Well, it's so great to connect with you, Inland Hills Church. Oh my gosh, the year I spent with you was amazing. And uh, Josh, thank you for those words. It was such a privilege to be here, but I kind of feel like a bait and switch. And uh, I was invited to come up and kick off this series on comfort food. And I was looking forward to seeing you, but it's kind of sad. You can see me but I can't see you. Well, we'll just keep it that way. But uh, so great to be with you. And uh, I was thinking as I was preparing that uh, there's something my dad taught me years ago, and that is sometimes the simplest things are the easiest to digest. Now, you know, I can give you examples. Like, I don't know if you've ever had to assemble something. And to me, simple instructions are the things I desperately need. Or when it comes to relationships, keeping it simple and uh, not getting into a lot of chaos or drama, that's a good thing. Or when you think about, you know, eating, eating simple things that kind of your, your body digests is that that's a good thing. Well, when it comes to our faith, I don't think there's anything I like better than to keep it simple. And I had a friend of mine who sent me a video. I had never watched this guy on TV before. His name is Jimmy Houston. And I started watching some of his videos and I was just caught. This guy's a professional fisherman and uh, he's kind of like that backwoods Southern preacher. And, uh, and he does it while he's fishing. And uh, I want to give you just a little taste of the kinds of things he teaches you. Watch it now. You know the real difference between me and God? What is it? God never thinks he's me. <laughs> he's a Hall of Famer and a great entertainer. I'm getting a lot of sugar this morning. When Jimmy's on the water, even the fish smile. <laughs> Jimmy Houston Outdoors on WFN. I'll tell you that, that was a simple statement that he made. And uh, the, the difference between God and us is God never wants to be us or thinks he's us. What are we always trying to do? Thinking we're God. And uh, I don't know about you, but uh, this has been the craziest season of my life. I'm now 64. I can't remember of time uh, in my life in these 64 years where it has been more uncertain, more crazy. I mean, we live in a country of uncertainty. And, uh, you know, over these past months, the pandemic, then, then you look at the social unrest, and then you look at an election year. And, you know, is it any surprise that the election ended up the way it is? Well, in all seriousness, that can create an incredible amount of anxiety and depression, you know, that uncertainty that we're talking about. And in all seriousness, the suicide rate has just jacked up. Why? Because people are overwhelmed. And there is a passage in scripture that I go to so often because my life like yours, uh, it's not predictable. Any given day, I can get an email, I can get a phone call, I can get a situation in which it will turn my whole day and it might last for a day, a week, or months. And, uh, and this passage I'm gonna look at today is Psalm 37. And the reason I love it is it's simple. There are some clear directives. And, and this is what I love about scripture is that there are times in which God wants to be abundantly clear. So he makes very simple statements. That's why I like this series, comfort food. Comfort food goes down real easy. Like today, it's kind of a rainy day out here in Southern California. I'm looking forward to getting home later this afternoon. And my wife makes the best tomato soup but she knows what I love with the tomato soup. 
It's the grilled cheese sandwich, lightly toasted, nice cheese. That's, that's comfort food to me. Another comfort food for me, I just love garlic mashed potatoes. I could just eat a plate of that. That would be dinner. But, you know, comfort food's good because it goes down good and it becomes fuel for the body. That's what Psalm 37 is. If you have your Bibles, turn to it right now. We're gonna take a look at what David is saying. He's at the end of his life. And what he's doing is he's looking back over his life and he's giving us very simple wisdom for uncertain and difficult times. So let's read this together. Don't worry about wicked or, en or envy those who do wrong. For like grass, they soon fade away. Like spring flowers, they soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the, your heart's desires. Commit everything you do to the Lord. Trust in him and he will help you. He will make your innocence radiate like the dawn and the justice of your cause will shine like the moonday sun. Be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked schemes. Stop being angry. Turn from your rage. Do not lose your temper. It leads only to harm. Finally, he says, for the wicked will be destroyed, but those who trust in the Lord will possess the land. Soon the wicked will disappear. Though you look for them, they will be gone. The lowly will possess the land and will live in peace and prosperity. I absolutely love this passage because there's just one after another, just simple directives for you and I to really lay a foundation in our lives. And speaking of a foundation, as I was reading through this uh, passage today, or, or this week as I was preparing. I kind of feel like David was kind of building this pyramid. He starts with a foundation and we'll get into that in just a second. And then he just builds on that foundation. And the first thing he says uh, in verse uh, three is he says, trust in the Lord and do good. Then you will live safely in the land and prosper. I don't know about you, but the foundation of any healthy relationship I've ever been in is trust. How do I know that? Because when trust has been violated, it absolutely just rattles the relationship. Reconciliation needs to happen if the relationship is, is to go on. And if the other person isn't willing to own what they did to, to kind of bring in the distrust, the relationship kind of blows up. Well, with God, and here, here's the beauty, is that he is with us. He's the one who is present. He never leaves us nor forsakes us, forsakes us. His love always comes at us. So he is with us. And what David is saying is, since he's with you, take advantage of that, trust him. Now, why would David ask us to trust in God? Because over his history as an elderly man, He's looking back and he says, because God is worthy of that trust. He's never let me down. He's always provided everything I've ever needed. He's always protected me from my enemies. His presence has always been with me. What is true of David is true of us. Man, it was years ago, uh, back in 2012, and I had this, uh, or excuse me, 2004, and I had this unbelievable opportunity to travel to Indonesia, but it wasn't a vacation. 
Some of you remember in 2004, it was the day after Christmas, December 26th at 8 a.m. or soon after, that there was the third largest earthquake that happened in the Indian Ocean. There was so much mass movement on the ground floor that the water rose and in some places, the surge was 100 feet high. Well, when those, when those swells, when those surges came and hit the land in several countries, there, there literally was over 250,000 people who lost their lives. Well, the place I got to visit was a city called Banda Aceh in the island of Sumatra in Indonesia. Now, my job was to go with a small group of people and we were to try to figure out, you know, how we could, uh, uh, literally give out funds to help people who had lost everything. So we wanted to be on the ground. So we traveled to Banda Aceh and I was told before we got there that there was gonna be a host that was gonna uh, greet us. Her name was Sister Hannah. Now they told me Sister Hannah was like nobody else you'll ever meet. This is a woman who trusts God. Now I remember hearing that and I've been impressed by a lot of spiritual leaders over the years but I will never forget Sister Hannah. She met us at the airport. We got to our hotel, got up the next day. And that's when I began to understand why people spoke so highly of Sister Hannah. This is a woman that gets up at four o'clock in the morning to do what? Cook breakfast? No, her time was with God. But it wasn't just that she would spend time in the word. It was the amount of time that she spent in prayer, but it was not so much about speaking to God as hearing God, because this woman waited to hear from God to know what she was going to do on any given day. Now, I thought when we arrived at, 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 uh, at Jakarta that we were gonna immediately head to Banda Aceh to survey the damage and, and to figure out how we were gonna help them. But no, Sister Hannah said, we've gotta wait. And I couldn't figure out, wait for what? She was waiting for the right time, waiting for what God was going to speak and when we should go. Well, there came a moment where one morning she said, it's time. And we headed to Banda Aceh. And as we saw and surveyed the damage, it was in extensive. Three quarters of the city was gone. The surge must have been easily 40 feet high because you could see the water level on the buildings. There were boats that were in the center of commerce, right in the center of the city that, that had been swept by the surge and brought into that city. But what was amazing was the opportunity that we had to meet with the governor of Sumatra. How was that possible? Because Sister Hannah was a woman of faith. Sister Hannah was a person who trusted God. And, uh, and her reputation went ahead of her. And the governor, although Muslim, said, come. And he literally referred to her as Sister Hannah. And I was just absolutely floored. Well, I wanted to learn from this woman. And I said, what causes you to trust God? And, uh, and, and what's the results of that trusting? And she said, Eric, I want to share with you. As I've trusted God, here's something that I've learned. You have to embrace suffering because there is a price to be paid for walking with God. We are in this world, we're not in heaven. You have to be able to embrace suffering. Secondly, you don't fear death. We were in a country that was 99.9 Muslim and they persecuted Christians. Sister Hannah had no fear of all at all, no fear of death. 
She always looked forward to eternity. She always walked in difficult places, never feared death. Thirdly, you have to have a daily time with God. Oh, and I saw that every day of her life. You have to listen more than you talk. And that was especially true of her when it came to prayer. She was way more interested in hearing what God had to say than taking to God what she had to say. She said, you have to limit the weights in your life or the encumbrances. You have to be willing to trust godly counsel. And finally, you have to submit yourself completely to God. Well, how do I know that? Because I... I wrote notes in 2004 as I met with Sister Hannah. And I've been trying to follow that. And it's really helped me to build a foundation of trust. There was a woman I remember years and years ago, Jonah, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. And uh, if you know her story, she was tragically paralyzed by jumping into a lake and hitting her head on a rock. And she became one of the greatest ambassadors to people who are broken people who have had circumstances happen that were so beyond their control. Some, of, some people might call them tragedies. But she wrote this simply about trust. Faith isn't the ability to believe long and far into the misty future. It is simply taking God at his word and taking the next step. When she was paralyzed, I'm sure as she laid in that hospital, she had no idea how God was going to use this, what people called a tragedy. But God knew all along, he's eternal. He knew how he'd use it. Much like Romans 8, 28 says, for God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him, for those who are called according to his purpose. See, it starts off with this thing of trust and simply God, I'm willing to take the next step. You know, I don't know about you, but during this COVID season, I've been waiting for us to round the corner where this virus is over and we can get back to our normal way of life until I realized that that might not happen. And I had to come to grips with the daily steps that Johnny Erickson Tata talked about is that I just wake up every morning now and say, God, here we are. What, what are we doing today? What, what are we going to be involved in? What's going to happen? And just taking the, 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 the day just in faith, trusting God for what he's going to do. And so the first step in, in having a life during uncertain and difficult times is just trust God. Second thing that David talks about in verse four is he says, take delight in the Lord and he will give your heart's desire. <laughs> I love this, this idea of taking delight. Now, most of us, have been in love. I don't care if it's with a puppy, more than likely it's a person. I remember when I first met my wife, it is the little stuff that absolutely enamored me with this woman. I, it was magnetic from the beginning, maybe not so much for her, a little bit more for me. But I remember just simple things like watching her eat, a simple smile, or like I would be at work and, and, and I would be thinking about her and I would call her. Why? Just to hear her voice. And, and, and so like now, 40 years later, like I am looking forward to getting home to my wife. We got a few things that we're gonna do around the house. We're painting the kitchen and we're gonna do that together. But I just love her storytelling. I love the tone of her voice. I love her smile. I love her laughter because I don't know what it is. I make her, I make her laugh. And I might not make you laugh, but I make her laugh. 
But here's the thing is, the word delight is all about relationship. It's all about wanting to be with someone. What David said is not only can God be trusted, here's the thing you ought to do, delight in him. See, when you delight with someone, you can't wait to be with them. You can't wait to share a memory or a story. Or if the relationship is a little bit entangled or difficult, you're willing to confess when you're wrong because you want nothing coming between you and them. You see, our hearts truly find peace and fulfillment in him. That's what the psalmist said. And that's why, why you know, uh, Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all the things that you tend to care about more than God will be added unto you. You see, you can't delight in the world and also delight in God. See, you don't never want the things of this world to ever own you. The apostle John said, do not love the world nor the things in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the 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 boastful pride of life are not from the Father, but they're from the world, but the world is passing away. But the one who does the will of God lasts or endures forever. During this time of uncertainty, during this time of difficulty, trust God, but more important, not more importantly, but also delight in him. Spend time with him. I had a, a woman in our congregation that I got together with this last week. And I will tell you her anxiety level, her stress level, she actually has begun to have suicidal ideations. And I simply asked a question, not in judgment. I said, how much time are you spending and delighting in God, in who he is, in what he's doing? And she literally said, I haven't been. You see, but I also talked to a man just in contrast who had just spent nine weeks in the, in, in the state of Maine. He has a cabin that just has kind of not all the amenities, but just basic survival stuff, a sink, water, things like that. Spent nine weeks there. He said, Eric, it was a life changer. I would take walks and just watch the ants, watch wildlife, look at trees, look at leaves, look at the sky. And he goes, I couldn't believe how much it settled me down. See, being out in God's creation, in his handiwork, settles us down. Getting into his word, seeing his truths and his promise, settle us down. So we gotta be willing to take delight in God. A.W. Tozer put it this way, the great secret of the Christian life is to begin experiencing God as he desires me to experience him. God's greatest delight is to bring me into his presence. And our delight ought to be to be in his presence. The third thing the psalmist uh, David says is commit everything you do to the Lord, trust him, and then he gives this promise, he will help you. So what does it mean to commit everything? Well, just take the word everything. I don't care if it's your work. I don't care if it's your leisure. I don't care if it's your hobby. I don't care if it's your relationships. What, What the psalmist is saying is, Give it all to God, commit it to God. Like for some of you, you may have lost your job during this COVID season. Right now, I, I, I handle very difficult marriages at my church and marriages are blowing up. People are, there, there's a high suicide rate. There are people dying during this COVID season. And so there's a lot of difficulty. 
And, and what, what, what Psalmist is saying is trust God, delight in him. And then he says, go further. And that is commit everything in your life to him. Why? Because you don't control it. You don't control your job. You don't control your relationships. You don't control your health. I remember there was a time I, I started to get a cough. It was in the, the, the month of April. And it was so weird because I immediately went to this idea of, is that I, I've got COVID. I became fearful. And then I go, well, God, if it happens, it happens. And if it happens, I'll fight it. But I'm not gonna worry about it anymore. That's what it means to commit everything. Whether it's your health, your money, your job, your faith, commit it all to God. Lay it out to him. St. Augustine said this, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance. To seek him, the greatest adventure. To find him, the greatest achievement. When we commit everything to him, nothing matters that much except for him. But again, it's so easy to get involved in all the entanglements. And uh, the fourth thing that the psalmist writes about is to be still in his presence. And uh, in, in verse uh, uh, seven, he says, be still in the presence of the Lord and wait patiently for him to act. I love this because here's the deal. God is eternal. He knows the past, present, and future all at once. You and I only live in the presence. So it's easy to get nervous about the future. And that's why the psalmist building on this pyramid of trust, of delighting in God and committing everything to God says, now I want you to be still in his presence. That's not easy. Most of us live in a treadmill existence. It's so easy. And you guys know me who have ever have heard me preach. I am an A-type personality. I'm a guy that makes lists. I love to accomplish things. I love to make my plans. But here's the part of the Psalm I don't always, or the proverb I don't always get. The mind of man makes his plans, but then it says this, the Lord establishes the steps. So here's the thing for A-type personalities or people who are control freaks like me. It's so critical for me to sit in the presence of God. Why? I've got to hear his voice as much as you do. See, yeah, I've been walking with him for a long time, but when I get ahead of him, I usually make my mistakes. I usually start to feel the weight and the fear, the anxiety, the depression. Why? Because there's so much uncertainty, so much difficulty. I'm running at helping people. But if I don't self-manage, I'll fall apart. I'll burn out. See, self-management is my responsibility. And so it's my responsibility to do what the psalmist said, to spend my time with God. In Psalm 46.10, it says, be still and know that I am God. To know what he's capable of, to know what he's done in the past for me, to know what he's willing to do in the present and what he'll do in the future, that is a settling thing. But it's also settling his word into my life. Because so oftentimes when I spend time in his presence is that he speaks to me. Two years ago, I was in Israel and at Gideon Springs where God, the, the angel came to Gideon right before the battle with the Midianites. And he hadn't yet had any armor. He had not yet used a sword or thrown a spear. The angel said, mighty warrior. He gave him a name. 
Two years ago when I was in Israel, God gave me a name, Powerful Finisher. Powerful Finisher. That stays with me. It's now my wedding ring. And I got to tell you honestly, there have been some times because I've been a little bit worn out because the church is having to work harder to do what we used to do before. And we're constantly having to adjust, constantly having to pivot. And by the way, I want to throw a little caveat. Pray for your pastors. Send a note to your pastors. Send an email to your pastors and encourage them. They're working hard and praying hard on your behalf. They love you. But for me, during this time, there've been a few times I just go, God, if there was a way out, And I look down at my ring and God speaks to me time and time again. Powerful finisher. Eric, you're not done yet. My people still need you. Keep going. So we want to spend time in his presence. Writer put it this way, A.W. Tozier. Why do some persons find God in a way that others do not? Why does God manifest his presence to some and let multitudes of others struggle along in the half-light of imperfect Christian experience? Of course, the will of God is the same for all. He has no favorite within his household. All he has ever done for any of his children, he will do for all of his children. Get this, the difference lies not with God, but with us. So I beg the question, are you spending time in his presence? Or are you trying to control things? Are you trying to just get through this? Are you just waiting for the light at the end of the tunnel? God's calling you into his presence. He wants to minister to you there. You see it in the Old Testament saints. You see it in the New Testament saints. Be that kind of person. The fifth thing the psalmist talks about is not worrying. And uh, I love this. In verse seven, he says, don't worry. And then he says about evil people who seem to prosper or fret about uh, their wicked schemes. Now you could substitute evil doers or evil people for anything. It could be your boss, it could be a a friend, it could be anybody. He says, I don't want you to worry. Now, all of us worry to some extent or another. The question is, do we obsess? See, what I love about scripture is it doesn't condemn me for worry. It simply tells me where to place it. See, in 1 Peter 5, 7, it says, cast all your anxieties, your worries upon me, God is speaking. Why? Because I care for you. See, all of us through this season, I don't think any of us could say, ah, never worried about a thing. Oh, I did. Most of us did. All of us did. But what did we do with that worry? That's what defines us. How did we handle? How did we manage? Did we bring it to God? Did we set it at his feet? Did we say, God, I can't control this, but you can? Remember that pyramid. You know, that whole thing, start with trust, delight in him, commit everything to him, be still in his presence. And now don't worry, don't worry. He's got this. One writer put it this way. Our job is to watch in times of international turmoil, which we're going through right now, to seek first the kingdom, no matter how difficult things may seem to be and not to allow our minds to be overwhelmed by worry. That word overwhelmed. See, it's one thing to worry. It's a whole nother thing to be overwhelmed by it. Spend time in God's presence. Put your worries before him. And then finally, the psalmist says, stop being angry. Turn from your rage. 
Do not lose your temper. It only leads to harm. Wow. So what is anger all about? Oh, there's a righteous anger, but that's not about you. That's, that's about the sufferings of others, the injustice of others. You see, most of the anger I'm seeing out in, in, in our culture really is about me. It could be about my political party. It could be about a contested election. It could be about the civil unrest. It could be about the burning of buildings. It could, it could be about a lot of things. And just like worry, anger is not sin when we first feel it, but it's what we do with that anger that matters. See, just like worry, the psalmist says, don't let it lead to your harm. Don't let your anger get control of you. Don't let it overwhelm you. Have I been angry during, during the season? Just like worry? Absolutely. Angry at somebody cutting me off. Angry at what's uh, being said in the news. Angry about how the election went. Angry. But what do I do with it? What calms me? <laughs> I know this is a repeated message. It's the pyramid. I'm trusting God. I'm delighting in him. I'm committing everything to him. And then I stay, stay in tune in his presence. What is he saying to me? Where is he leading me? And then I'm letting the worry go, letting the anger go. Again, will I feel worry or anger after I preach this sermon? I would lie to you if I said no. It's just not gonna happen. But again, what I do with that anger and worry, that defines me. Can I just throw out right now, in our country, there is a world dying for people who have civility. They're not yelling. They're not judging. They're not complaining. They're civil. And they're tolerant of opposing viewpoints. See, whatever happened in our country with tolerance, when you could actually have a conversation about politics and go, well, I don't agree with that, but I love you. See, during this difficult time, Psalm 37 has been an anchor to me. It's built me a strength that I didn't have. And that's what God wants to do with you, is he wants you to, to, to make you strong. When the winds come, when the storms come, you don't blow over. What are the takeaways? There's some beautiful takeaways from this message. Oh, I almost forgot this one quote. This is, this is about the whole area of anger. As long as you live on this earth, you won't see the end of injustices. Yet God desires you to, you to let go of injustices and hold on to his grace. Only he can give you the power to forgive those who have hurt you the deepest. We're hurting each other. Grace overcomes that. Love overcomes that. So now I wanna talk about the takeaways. First one, reaping what you sow applies to sin, but by the way, it also applies to righteousness. If you live out Psalm 37, I promise you, there will be people that wanna be around you. You literally will put wind in their sails. <clears throat> when you're around them, they come towards you, not away from you. See, I've always said that there are people in my life that suck the wind out of my sails, but then there's people that put the wind in my sails. I wanna put that, uh, be the person that puts wind in people's sails. Secondly, God wants the good things in your life as much as you do. 
That's why it says, delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. When I'm in alignment with him and, 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 and following him, doing his agenda, his bidding, oh man, I can ask whatever I want. Boom, got it. You see, God wants the good things in my life and uh, as much as I do. Thirdly, for God to help, you must trust him. Faith, trust go hand in hand. God rewards those who diligently seek and serve him. Hebrews eleven six. Are you trusting him? He's with you. He's not forsaken you. He's right side by side. No matter what your health is, no matter what your job situation, no, what, no matter your financial situation, no matter what party wins this election, God is with you and he's calling you to trust him. Finally, Worry and anger are signs that scream, I am not basking in his presence. I have found this over 47 years of walking with Jesus. <laughs> when I'm in his presence, it's literally like, it, it just worry and anger just flows away from me. What a privilege it is to give this message. My hope is this will be comfort food, that you will be able to digest these truths that you will not let go of them. Can I pray for you as we end this message? These are turbulent times, but you know what? Strong people last through turbulent times. Let's pray for God's strength. And so God, thank you for this message. Thank you that David wrote Psalm 37. It's as if he wrote a letter to us today. It is so relevant for our time right now that is so uncertain, so difficult. God, I pray that you would set our feet upon a rock. God, that we would learn each of these steps to a really healthy and vibrant life. This is food for the soul. For what reason? So that we can be a blessing to others. Thank you, God, for being with us, for being a strong presence in turbulent times. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the Inland Hills Church Weekly Messages podcast. To learn more about Inland Hills, including info about our church ministries and ways to get involved, visit inlandhills.com. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure you subscribe and leave a review so others can find our messages of hope and encouragement. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you next week.